Hello and a very warm welcome to a new episode of Women Build, brought to you by World Architecture News from Alison and Nav. In today's episode, we speak to Pascal Sablan and Giselle Santos-Rivera, two women whose entries really stood out in the pioneering category of this year's Female Frontier Awards. Their work was selected for its strength in this field, the initiatives they've put in place to ensure women are not disadvantaged in the workplace, their positive and vital attitude to mental and physical well-being, along with the development of career-enhancing training. The high-caliber of entries for WAN's Female Frontier Awards really highlighted the innovative, intriguing and excellent work women are producing on the world stage. We've launched the 2022 Female Frontier Awards to once again recognise and highlight the outstanding work from women of all ages at every level across the global built environment. These awards offer all the things that a global scheme should do and more. They promote best practice, new and established talent and celebrate the firms who are supporting women in their roles. This year we have added categories to broaden the scope and ensure that all women working in the global built environment have the opportunity to get involved and gain exposure. New categories include innovation and interior design, interior designer of the year and emerging interior designer of the year. There is a relevant category for all, whether you're at entry level or the founder of your own practice. Entries are open now with a reduced entry price at the early bird rate if you enter before the 23rd of September. For more information, go to onefemalefrontierawards.com. Both Pascal and Giselle are working in the US. Pascal is an associate at AJ Associates Architects and the founder and executive director of Beyond the Built Environment. And Giselle is a medical planner and director of Justice, Equity, Diversity and Inclusion at HKS. Thank you, Pascal and Giselle, for joining us today. You're both extremely strong advocates for equitable and diverse environments. Pascal, perhaps I can come to you with this first question. What do you think has changed in your experience for women in the last 10 years or more recently? Do you think we've got grounds for optimism? I think there's always grounds for optimism because women are put in positions of leadership and have been able to break through a lot of glass ceilings to get there. For the past decade or so, and definitely within my experiences, I'm starting to see a lot more women in leadership position and being recognized for the work. But clearly, I think a lot more needs to happen um, in terms of that work. And as a mom, I really did struggle a bit in my career in terms of navigating, uh, participating and being in both parts of my identity. And I'm also starting to see way more flexibility structured in especially the architecture, engineering, construction industry that allows for that ability to be both an amazing mother and an extraordinary architect at the same time. I I think it's hard to follow Pascal. <laughs> I think she said she said it beautifully in in that yes, I believe absolutely and wholeheartedly that there is room for optimism. I think people have, particularly women, and not only women, have more understanding or better understanding that there is a need to elevate women and place women in leadership roles. Uh, Women have more agency. There's a lot more documentation. There's a lot more recognition of the struggles, the pinch points, and the career challenges that women face. And I think women have um, greater opportunities now to voice their concerns, to really share where they are, and as Pascal mentioned, to ask for flexibility, and there's more recognition that we do need to provide that, that it is 
an onus on us to create the space for women to thrive. So I see that definitely moving further than it has in the past. And it's not only what's happening in the world, but in architecture as well. And do you think there are problems specifically in the US or would you say it fosters quite a positive environment for women? That's a really good question. The U.S. is on, it's not unlike other places in in the world where there are challenges for women and there are challenges, societal challenges and systemic challenges. Uh, I think there are countries that are creating infrastructure that is supportive of women in the workplace a little bit better than the U.S. is doing it right now. But I think there are greater movements in in providing greater agency and support uh, at a government scale and a systemic scale. There's greater recognition that um, care for children, and as Pascal mentioned, mothers should be a community effort. And in terms of the architecture sector, I guess really we're looking at two strands of action here. We're looking at how women architects can improve their lot career-wise. But Pascal, you mentioned that being a mother brings a whole new level of challenges into the working environment. And alongside that, then, we're looking at a need for architecture to be built or adapted to support women. So, for example, rooms that women can go to to breastfeed or easier access to nurseries or kindergartens, perhaps. So I I see really that we need to address this on two fronts. What are your thoughts? I think you hit the nail right on the head. The first kind of introduction to the way the built environment was failing me as an expecting mother was really spaces for me to navigate and just kind of accessibility. Then the idea of accessibility wasn't just those who are disabled or have mobility kind of impairments, but there's just like a navigation that I needed to just kind of understand, as well as the policy of what would mean in my office and kind of my ability to maintain my status in my particular firm and not kind of have that change my trajectory. And then when becoming a mother, I found it difficult to find spaces outside of my home and maybe my office um, where I could tend to what my body was requiring of me. And so that's when I really started to see the disconnect, uh, how spaces were not considered. I also attended a lecture a few years ago and uh, Gabrielle Bullock uh, spoke about how the design of the spaces are done, right? The proportions and scales, the heights of doorknobs, cabinets, the temperatures that is required is all set to the body and the proportions of a male, right? And so women typically, and I laughed and giggled when I heard her say it, is like, we usually have our sweaters at office because we're typically on the cold side because we're wearing a blouse and a dress, whereas our male counterparts are wearing a three-piece suit. So the temperatures are set to a cooler dimension. So I thought it was very interesting that as a woman, I was navigating a space where I was trying to convert to make it adaptable to a space that wasn't really designed for me. So beyond kind of spaces that are created to create programming and uh, rituals that I need to do as a woman or as a mother... It's also about just the way spaces and proportions of those materials and textures are also catered to women as well. So I really wanted to share that because I think it makes us look at our spaces in a different kind of lens. And it also speaks to the conversations we need to have about how one feels accepted into a space, whether that be public or private spaces. We have to understand that architecture speaks, it communicates, and it gives the sense of whether you're welcomed or not very clearly and distinctly. And sometimes it's so ingrained into the way we navigate the built environment that we don't even realize that we are creating and jumping through obstacles just to exist in a space. And that's really interesting. I, I don't expect many women realize they're operating in an environment that is built specifically for men and would just accept it as the norm. Can I bring you in, Giselle, here? 
How do you think this change can necessarily be achieved? Do you think it's a matter of regulation or education? Yes, I believe that we do need to do all of those things, that we need to consider regulation and policy, that there needs to be a lot of education, as Pascal mentioned. I know British author Carolyn Criado Perez made a a very compelling case in her book for Invisible Women, how a lot of the regulations, a lot of the testing, the studies, the research is primarily focused on the male experience and the male body. For example, cars, much like the urbanscape, were designed and studied through um, the male physique as well as the male experience. So she makes a compelling case in her book that sidewalks were somewhat a remnant of access on the car and, and the urbanscape really didn't lend itself for how women use the car on a regular basis and have to access uh, certain things throughout the day and, and childcare. So I think we need to fund regulation and grants, for example, the Equality Can't Wait Challenge, try to fund compelling grant proposals uh, for the, the study women and be able to put women in, in power. So I think we need to educate people in the power of architecture, what it really does to enable access and provide care. I'm also a medical planner. So in this space of COVID, we've definitely had a greater recognition of disproportionate access to care and what those things mean for women, um, people of color. So it is to me, definitely a mix of all of these things. It is about funding so that proper research is done that accounts for women and women's experiences in the world. Education needs to happen to recognize the systemic issues that exist in the workplace, in architecture, and in any space in the built environment. And regulation needs to back that up. And Pascal, would you like to add anything to that? I mean, I don't think she, Giselle left me anything to add because I think she did a great job of hitting all points. I will just say that it, it was a matter of scale, right? It, it's thinking about this from a holistic standpoint in terms of regulation and policy, all the way down to what you as a designer, as an architect, as an individual of the society can do, right? And so it's really, uh, when we're talking about systemic issues, people kind of get discouraged. And I really want to throw some energy and some uh, encouragement to really even consider ways that you within oneself has the power and the authority to create justice through the work that you do on an everyday basis, whether you are in architecture or not. There's always understanding of how um, these general larger issues that we're trying to solve and how the work that we do either enforce or starts to dismantle it. Um, and I'll even give an example. Here at AJ Associates, uh, we have three offices, one in New York, one in London, and one in Accra. Uh, in Ghana, and we even starting to have policy conversations about how do we make it equitable around globally. And as well as making the working environments in those countries more equitable, you also get given the opportunity to work around the world. And you've personally worked in many different countries, including the US, Saudi Arabia, India and Japan. How does your approach to design vary from country to country? Really, it's always about community engagement um, and understanding cultural differences. And so really it starts with an education point, right, where um, there's research that's being done, but it's also an engagement with the client and the users of those spaces to explain what are the critical components that reflect their culture and how I can manifest that into architecture and into the design. Um, and so through my work globally, I've learned that there are so many things that are similar in terms of our culture, in terms of our identities and how we navigate spaces. But then there are also really distinct, really bespoke things that really identify and amplify the person and the, that culture specifically. So really, you have to start from a position of I'm here to learn 
And I'm here to translate part of who you are, part of your identity into a space that allows you to feel nurtured as well as elevated and supported for whatever program and use that we're kind of working towards. And how have your learnings and experiences of working globally informed your work with Beyond the Built Environment? I think what was really powerful for me with Beyond the Built Environment and really starting that organization to push forward this mission of elevating women and BIPOC designers' work and identities, as well as creating a strong pipeline for younger students into the profession, is that it really, again, is about having the conversation with the community that you're trying to serve, right? And I did not strategically did not want to be a helicopter advocate who just kind of came in said, Hey, I know what you need. Didn't have a conversation with you. Here you go. You welcome. You should be grateful and kind of walk away, but really started to wait for local community groups to invite me to come and engage with my programming and with the mission and together co-create these exhibitions, these programs, these panel discussions, uh, programming for the youth, all centered around the way they work specifically. And what are some of the changes you want to see come about as a result of this in the next 10 years or so? Well, it's interesting because between the Roja Shang missing 32% report about the change in kind of the loss of women in the profession is one part. And then kind of understanding and start to see statistics that women are actually leaving architecture and going into tech. And so it's not that women are leaving and are kind of cowering in a corner. No, women are finding (laughs) spaces and professions and occupations that allow them to really flourish and be the best versions of themselves, right? Um, And being rewarded handsomely with their salary accordingly. So really for the betterment of us as society, We need to make sure that the profession is more equitable so that we maintain more women in leadership in the profession, the design professions, so that we can then be in a position of power, so that we can then be in positions to create designs and policies that serve women across the world. So one of the things that I really want to see um, in the next 10 years is absolutely way more women in partner principal levels at firms. And what are the steps you think need to happen in order to achieve this? Again, I think it starts with you can't be what you can't see. So really, again, elevating and making sure that we're documenting the work and identities of women uh, that provides that. And then also system-wide changes at firms that allow for a stronger pipeline and mentorship to ensure that women and people of color are getting to those positions of power. We're thinking about more regulatory processes and certifications that allow the identification of minority and women-based businesses uh, to allow for them to have special access to those components. But honestly, what I really would love to see um, in, in terms of the steps that we need to take are ones that really provide systemic or systematic movement that allows things to move forward. And I think a lot of the examples that Giselle and I have kind of shared so far in this conversation provide some of those steps that one can take and one can consider as they pick up their hammer and and starting to dismantle some of those things that are holding women back. Giselle, how has your work as HKS's first Director of Justice, Equity, Diversity and Inclusion developed since you were first appointed in 2018? Have you seen the progress that you would like to make at this stage? I think as with everything, you always see progress, you always see challenges, and you always strive for more. I'm I'm a person that thrives on challenges. So I think now looking back, I feel like this was a good fit for me. The progress that I've seen 
and what has developed has actually been incredibly eye-opening. Uh, at the beginning, when we started this journey, we already had a, a, sort of a, an idea in place. There was a, an initiative called Better Together, and we were elevating issues around equity and, and women in leadership in, in the firm, which had two years of this language that we were creating in the organization. And I think since then, what has happened is not only has our firm recognized that this conversation is bigger and broader than just our organization and just architecture, but that it's very clear that we do need a common language, a very basic, clear common language to have those deep, uncomfortable conversations about what is happening, that we need people to step up and challenge and be challenged. And in order to do that, we need to create more psychologically safe spaces. So we need to create spaces where people welcome that opportunity to be challenged, particularly people in power, and are open to receive receiving that feedback from, from people in the organization that are open to being challenged, to listening, to being open, to being part of the change, and always in recognition that this is not a shame and blame work and game, as people sort of say. Uh, we need to create these safe spaces that allow us to really challenge and create these goals together. It's so much about co-creation. In terms of architectural projects, have you made any changes to designs that you feel will now move them to become more inclusive workplaces and communities? Yes, I I think we, well, we certainly are doing that. I think what's most important for me is, and what I've learned in the last year or two, is that in order to achieve more equitable and inclusive designs, we need to understand that Jedi or justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, and achieving more equitable communities and more inclusive communities that are responsive to change. This is really about a process. And Pascal sort of mentioned that um, early on. This is about co-creation. This is not about sort of that, as they call it, the black cape um, hero architect sort of swooping in with the perfect solution. This is really about getting early on in the conversation with clients and asking the questions, getting from them and distilling from them what is the root cause of the issue, what is really the issue that we want to address, and being very clear that this is a process that we need to do together. So when we move, when we shift that conversation early on in the process, we start to then instill in the process more more collaborative moments and as we call it in the space more more equity pauses we sort of slow down a little bit of the process to speed it up at the end we slow down to ask the questions how are you feeling what is your demographic who who are the people that you're seeking to reach to what is the broader scope of your work your building and your work doesn't stop at the perimeter of of your project it really does encompass the community so what we're trying to do in the process is really embed the client, the community, the leaders in the community early on in the process. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the Female Frontier Awards are open for entries for a second year. Pascal, your entry was highly commended in the pioneering category, which seeks to reward an individual who is helping to drive the industry forward and is committed to making the architecture and wider built environment industry more inclusive and diverse. What was it that attracted you to enter this category? What were you looking for? Truly, um, with advocacy work, it can be very lonely work. And I was really looking for support to know and to have actual more global recognition for the issues that we're trying to solve here in the U.S., but also to make connections with brilliant uh, people globally 
about how we can continue to do the, the, the advocacy work. So really in me starting to strategizing to submit was really trying to engage a community that I was really inspired by and really wanted to be a part of and excited to make those connections and learn about so many women um, who are doing incredible work and also gleaning that as inspiration and then also part of my networking building. So also, lastly, uh, was about creating visibility to the work that I was doing, um, I am doing uh, currently and finding ways and opportunities to allow that to continue to work globally as well. So really, it was both selfish and uh, larger serving in terms of trying to 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 apply. I needed the support, especially in that time. I I definitely felt like I needed more support in this realm. And this was a great opportunity to do so. And I'm really proud and excited that I was able to find the courage and the support from my peers to, to allow me to submit. And do you feel that you've gained that support by entering? I have. I think it definitely... Uh, last year was a different kind of shift in terms of how we've navigated spaces. But again, because of the leveraging of technology, I've been able to really connect with people globally and be able to meet more people. And yes, I have taken down all the names of everyone (laughs) that was featured um, and reached out and trying to create and again, grow the network of, of understanding women who are doing great and phenomenal work. I think as Pascal mentioned, I was looking to build community, which is something that for me is so important in this space of creating greater inclusion, feeling like you belong. It is really about building community um, and support system. But as, as Pascal also mentioned, there is a real sense that this work somewhat feels very lonely and isolated. And you at, at many times feel like you're sort of being the voice for a large community and you're somewhat also trying to find recognition in that the work that you're doing is meaningful, that it is well-received, that that it is making an impact because at times it feels very lonely and very isolating. What advice would you give anybody thinking of entering this year's Female Frontier Awards? I would say on a uh, pragmatic sets, I would say I would review pa- past winners um, to see the level and the caliber and the criteria of those who are applying and those who've been recognized because it is quite in- extensive. Um, I would say really try to document your publications and awards and accomplishments as much as possible so that you can also outline and showcase your great contributions to, to the profession and built environment. And then I also would say you are worthy of elevation and praise. Um, women are typically timid in terms of applying for awards. So having an award that's really geared and focused on us is an important asset and something to be appreciated. And it's always important to submit because even if you don't win, you never know who's looking at your your documents. You don't know who's raising your visibility in that process. So it's important that you also think about it's not just a matter of the you you know, a win or a lose is really about just being part of the process automatically makes you part of that community. Um, and so, you know, be strategic, um, be articulate, and don't be shy to really uh, toot your own horn, really celebrate who you are, celebrate your contributions and claim it and own it. And probably in putting together your application, you will soon realize that you have been underselling yourself and that you are phenomenal um, and that you are worthy of recognition. I think as with any award, you need to come at this with a sense of confidence. And I'm trying to sort of embolden a lot of what Pascal mentioned because she said it so beautifully. I think for women in particular, and there's a, there are a lot of studies that sort of um, acknowledge this, 
we exist in, in this space of servant leadership. Not everybody, but, but many women do that. We exist in this space where we, we want to do our best and we want to serve our people and we want to be there for them. We're great mentors and sponsors. And there's a moment that we need to sort of shift a little bit of that to feel like we are worthy. And there is this sort of learning opportunity when you sit down and reflect on what you've done and, and try to distill it and share it with the world. And celebrate your wins, whether they're small or large. You need to get to a place where you feel confident about the work that you're doing and you want to share with other people and build alliances and build community. And, and I think it's really important in every journey to recognize that you are achieving things as you move along and that even if you feel like they may not be large wins for the world, they are large wins for the space that you're in. So I think feel confident that you are doing great work and that it is important to share that and be that representation and just really do it. You learn a lot from the process. You build a narrative and it's going to help you in the long run to articulate better what it is that you bring to the table because we all have a voice. We all have a story to tell. And I think it's really important. And when you when you have a deadline as architects, we love deadlines. When you have a deadline and there's something that you have to do and you look at your past it's, it sets you in a path to creating a narrative and a very clear message that then you can distill and share with others. And then you can help mentor other people to get to that place too. Mm. And it's not often, I think, people sit down and actually look in retrospect at what they've achieved because you do, you just, you just go along, don't you? You move forward as you, as you sort of go through every day. So it's, it's an opportunity really to sit back, as you say, and coalesce really everything that you've been working on. So thank you very much for taking time to talk to us today. Really appreciate it. Very interesting conversation. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Well, thank you very much. This was spectacular. We welcome your feedback on the podcast. So please aim all your comments to waneditorial at haymarket.com. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. So follow download and join us as we look into the world of architecture from a female perspective, wherever you are. (laughs) 